Hi, I'm Tannen Grace, and as always, I'm joined by Ross Merriam. Ross on location here this weekend, really uh, putting in the effort to get an episode out this week, Ross, and uh, we all really appreciate it. Yeah, thanks. I'm uh, joining you all from the lovely Comfort Inn and Suites in Caldwell, <laughs> Ohio. Oh, I know um, it well. Yeah, I've been there many a, a time. Yeah. It is, uh, as when I saw the very first time we came up here, uh, which was you know, last summer, mm-hmm. I, when I saw that we were staying in a Comfort Inn, I was pretty skeptical. You were like, eh? Yeah. Yeah, I was like, normally I like a step of, uh, yeah. like a, because the Comfort Inn, I think, is like a two, two and a half star. I like oh, that three, three and a half star range. Only the best for Ross Merriam. Yeah. Anyway, sorry, continue. But I've got to tell you, this is one of the nicest comfort inns you will ever see. The you know the rooms are perfectly clean and not like sometimes hotels like this can have like really outdated stuff. Um, but it's all it's all solid, and there is a hot tub, which uh, we've been here for yeah. about an hour and a half, and I've been in the hot tub for an hour of that. That's not <laughs> so, health, that's not healthy, Ross. Just so you know, <laughs> I. W- I, I guess I was in the hot tub for probably about 40 minutes of it and in the yeah. pool for 20. So um, anyone who's been listening recently, you know, I've been going to the gym quite a bit recently and uh, we have a hot tub at our gym. We have multiple hot tubs at our gym and like at least once a week, like all like the guys that I, that I go with, we're always like hot tub and I'm like, yes, my body, <laughs> my body, my body hurts. Oh, yeah. I need it. <laughs> now and they do the. They do the hot tub into like the cold shower room into the hot tub, and like I haven't gotten into that yet because I'm just like ah, that's we'll get yeah, there eventually. Too it's, far. It's it's really good for your like nervous system and all this other stuff, or like you know you jump in the pool and do a lap and come back. But I'm just like I, I, I'm I'm hurting. The funny thing is, uh, I got like I got laughed at and with today for the funny moment where um, the the gym I go to. Uh, all the fun stuff's on the bottom floor. So, like, you know, the basketball and, like, rock climbing and the hot tub and stuff. But, like, all the weights and stuff are on the second floor. So I go to the second floor a lot. And I did legs today. And coming down the stairs from the second floor to the first floor took me a solid minute. <laughs> and and one guy just walks by. He's like, leg day's always a bitch, isn't it? <laughs> I was going to say that I'm, you know, 250, 300 miles from where I normally am when we're recording. But you might have put in more effort to <laughs> travel to record. Sure. Uh, just because of your physical it's, condition, we'll it's say. It's really funny because, like, Ross messaged me to, to record today. He's like, you know, because, like, we've both been very busy for the last few weeks. So sorry for the the content being a little sparing. And, uh, you know, Ross is out of town. I'm, I'm, like, super busy today. And he messages me and he's like, can we record? And I'm like, yeah, I, I'm like, I'm capable of recording. I have time. Let me see if I'm physically capable of getting to the location that I need to record. And he's like, what do you mean? I'm like, it's upstairs and I did leg day today and I'm having to drag myself around. So, <laughs> uh we're good you know like it's it's getting to the point where it's it's not as bad all the time but leg day is just oh god it sucks but uh yeah enough about me and my legs <laughs> <laughs> no I, I like this subject let's, yeah, let's I mean, continue for a bit yeah i mean like you know i mean i'm in really tight fitting pants too ross if you want i can stand up and do a little twirl for you please do i, I mean I'm, I'm gonna do it <laughs> like i'm in i'm in like actual like leggings oh yeah it's like, a little, it's like a little chilly here and shake it for I'm, me baby I'm not doing that. That that's too. That's that's where I draw the line. Look, I'll show I'll show off my legs. I'm not. I'm not gonna <laughs> literally shake it for you. I need a tip at least. Like I need like I, five I bucks don't have any cash on me, Tannen. I used my last couple dollars uh, in the pool table the other night. Rookie, fucking <laughs> rookie. <laughs> yeah, I'm actually struggling a little bit today. So I didn't sleep a ton last night. I just had a you know a bad night's sleep, and I'm a tiny bit like hungover. And when I say a tiny bit hungover, I had a drink. In like two and a half shots, and like that's it. Because like one of my I just want to have a, half a shot, Tannen. Uh, like 
I asked for one to like not be, you know, I was like, they're like, we're all doing another round shot that's like, make mine like less. You yeah, know don't I mean? fill like, it don't, as high. Because okay. okay. we were doing it out of cups. Uh, okay. You know, I was at the poker room and one of my buddies had a big score yesterday. He finished, uh, he lost playing heads up for like a big event here. And he's like, look, I feel like celebrating, like, you know, blah, blah, blah. He's like, everything's on me. You know, I, I'm not the person I don't take advantage. I'm not like, yeah, I'll have a bottle of Dom or, so, you know, like, or something, you know, but like, you know, blah, blah, blah. But, you know, I had a, I had a few celebratory, like, I, I will drink socially and stuff now. I just don't drink very much anymore. And I am such a lightweight and I am paying for it today. <laughs> like, my, my stomach's messed up, man. I'm tired. Like, it's, it's rough. And then I was like, fuck, it's leg day. This is going to be an awful day. So when we're done with this, I think it's 50 50 if I take a nap or not. And speaking of that, it's it's 4.18 p.m. for me right now, so it's 5.18 Eastern. So I might be taking a nap at, like, 5.30 in the afternoon. So we'll, we'll see what happens. <laughs> but, you know, my day is 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 pretty wild. So, uh, like you said, uh, you know, you're on location this weekend. What's going on with you and Todd? Um, you know, pretty exciting weekend here in Ohio where we will be casting the Season 2 Invitational uh, in the Apex Series. The first so season like one invitation was our very first tournament. Yeah, is it like the culmination event? Like, yeah, like, this is like, the culmination okay. of season two that we've been building towards. And I've got to say, you know, th- th- we've seen the quality of play on this tournament series increase so much yeah, you, uh, you, even you, over the I last six that. months. So yeah. I'm really excited to uh, see, you know, uh, who is qualified for this. I think we've got a couple other big names even from outside of the Apex series. Uh, coming in and what they bring in a modern format that uh, you know is in a little bit of flux there is sort of hammer and merc tide at the top but they are far from dominant so there's definitely room to bring some spiciness there are some players on the series that like to bring the spice i've already seen somebody on twitter say they're bringing the spice uh so it should be a very good tournament both from you know uh the quality of play and from the coolness of the decks that are brought so uh, I, I'm assuming that by the time y'all will be listening to this, the tournament series will be over. So, um, hopefully, you know, you, you're following, uh, following us on Twitter so you can get the updates and, and know when we go live, uh, and hopefully, you know, people tune in because this has been, uh, it's been very rewarding both to get into the commentary game and do it, but it's been particularly rewarding and, uh, you know, for me to watch this series grow and watch the players grow, get to know them. And uh, this is going to be the, you know, the biggest tournament yet, the biggest weekend yet. And uh, I hope we, you know, I hope we crush it. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm going to stay on this subject and we're going to, I'm going to ask you some questions, but I am going to tangent for half a bit because I, th- I think I can officially talk about this now. Um, <clears throat> I just signed my contract for, uh, I will be doing, I, I will be on the coverage team. My role was going to be a little different, but I will be on the coverage team for the arena championships that's happening uh later uh <clears throat> what it looks like is uh I'm, I'm assuming i can i can say the roster you know what not enough people listen to the show for us to get really get in trouble if we if we yeah. you know, <laughs> give it a little too much let's let's be real but uh the host is going to be maria Betholdi. like like obviously she's just absurd you know, yeah like so good at her job um play by play uh we're, they're gonna have will hall and uh Hayu Yu, just absolute great commentators amazing and then the two experts, I mean, they're they're bringing the thunder other than me at this event. It's going to be Corey Baumeister and Manny Devotti. So it's going to be like a decent bit of the PT coverage team. And then, you know, some of the other people that have been coming into it uh, lately. You know, I got I got to have, you know, one of my big breaks for Magic coverage in uh, at the end of the year last year for DreamHack. Uh, you know, still up in the air if I'm going to be doing the, the next DreamHack. But 
uh, I'm going to be doing like interviews and stuff again, like I was uh, before. And, uh, you know, hopefully it goes well, because uh, this is an actual WOTC event. And I'm excited to, you know, dip my toes in there, especially with uh, Fab's going to be taking a little bit of a step back this year in actual coverage. Uh, I, I, that's all I can say about this year. I, I have higher hopes for next year is a, is a thing I can say without ever give, giving anything away. But, you know, I will be doing the PT for, for Fab, uh, for everybody that doesn't know Fab, Flesh and Blood. I will also be doing the, the PT, but I'll be doing host commentating and interviews on that. I do the whole, like, I do everything. <laughs> like, John, <laughs> like, there's a job that's like, it's like, we, we have the commentators, they're all absurdly good, right? You know, I'm like the the, the fifth man. Like, I you know I help in, I, I jump in, I, I, I do commentary as much as they want me to. But if there's ever anything that needs to be done, I'm just like, yeah, just just hand me a mic, put a camera in front of my face, just get me to do it. I'll do it. Like let them <laughs> let them focus on the games, you know, because they get to play more than I do. They're more entrenched into, into flesh and blood than I am, you know. Like this is this is their game. So I'm just like, yeah, like let's go. So uh, getting to be a multi-sport athlete uh, this year, I think, is the the way I want to say it, just to make myself sound great, you know, pulling off a little Deion Sanders, a little a little bow nose kind of stuff. So. But it's pretty cool to get to find. I mean, I've alluded to it on the show a few times. You know, we'd had the, you know talks in the in the background, but uh, I can like I've officially signed my contract. So unless some weird stuff happens, I will be doing that. So if you watch the arena championships, uh, which I haven't seen the full roster yet, but I know that it's sick. So it, it's it's gonna be a fun weekend uh, of stuff, and that's gonna be like a a Saturday Sunday one. And also, I get to do it from the lovely confines of my own place, which is great because this is you know Dawn Arena, so. They're like we we could bring you into the studio, but like, do we need to? And I was like, I, look, if you don't want or need me to fly across the country, I I I'm fine not doing that. You know, I'll just stay home. Like, yeah. I won't even wear pants for the show. I'll just <laughs> I'll just I'll just wear whatever I'm wearing at the top. You know, kind of thing. Hopefully the the camera never slips. You know, so uh, we got a we got a green screen coming in for it too because they said they have some. They're gonna try out some idea they have. They have some quote unquote cool ideas. So hopefully there's some sweet stuff going there. But uh enough about me with the commentary thing before I ask some more questions about what's going on this weekend I gotta say this I've watched you and uh Todd do a decent bit like I haven't you know sat down and watched every round of the events right but I definitely if, if I'm free or if I'm doing something on my computer or my other screen is free I'll pull it up and watch you guys I gotta say Ross you do an amazing job and I'm not just saying that because you know we're friends and our podcast partner. Thank you. I think you're actually very good but no, I think you're legitimate and, thank and, like, you and there's there's improvement like every time too and look this is not me saying that I'm perfect or great and like you know you should listen to you know everything i have to say etc that stuff but i'm saying like i, I absolutely love your coverage and, and it's awesome um you said you were looking forward to, to this event because like the the plays been better uh the deck picks have always been uh re- yeah i said that have always been really great when i've watched this event because you get a good representation of like the top decks but then like you were talking about you have like you know you have people like i remember it was one of the first times i saw creativity pl- played on paper you know was at one of these events or like when it first started getting good against uh what was it called uh money pile you know, when yeah. people like that, that started getting popular to like beat Money Pile, saw it in one of these coverage and stuff. So like the players there, not only are they good, but like they seem to have like their fingers on the pulse of the metagame like quite a bit. They know what they're doing. So like this is a pretty high level play from these guys as well, not just in like the actual physical moving the pieces around on the board, but like some of these players have put in the work that you need to do because you can win or lose a magic tournament before you ever actually show up to the site. You know, if you play a deck that's unplayable or you pick the right deck, you've put yourself in a much better position or a much worse position to have the result that you're going to have. Yeah, this is a this is a tournament series of grinders. You know, yeah. They are uh, in the trenches, week in, week out, 
traveling around this region. A lot of them are traveling to other events too. You know, I've seen I've seen them at NRG events. Uh, I saw one of yeah, the Body Brothers at the Pro Tour last weekend yeah. uh, because they qual- they qualified at the RC like I did. So uh, yeah, these are people that are in the trenches playing Magic uh, a lot. You know, it really reminds me a lot of where I was. You know, ten years ago playing. 30, 40 weekends out of the year um, and, uh, you know, really putting in hours. Uh, and uh, it's fun to see that from the other side uh, now that I have a, you know, a little bit more of a relaxed, we'll say, travel schedule. Yeah, I mean, someone was asking about that the other day. They're like, do you miss it? Because, like, I haven't had a show or I haven't had to travel yet this year or something, and that's going to change very soon. Like, I have to go to Baltimore um, they just announced that Worlds this year is going for Fab is going to be in Europe, and uh, I maybe I'm doing it. I don't know yet. I mean, I assume, <laughs> but like you know, I, look, I don't get me wrong. I love my trips to Europe; they're great, you know. And, and uh, I I miss it until I'm doing it a lot. Does that make sense to you? Do you do you feel like oh that? yeah? Like, once you've done like the third weekend in a row, and you're just like, I I just want to sleep in my own bed. <laughs> That's, you know, that, that actually, that's what I'm in the middle of, Tannen. I was right, the Pro Tour last right. weekend. I'm here this weekend. Next weekend, yeah. I'm in Charlotte for the SCG. You, oh, you, yeah, you're going to have the third week. That's that's the limit for me. Oh, the yeah. fourth week, I'm like, I need to, we need to, we need to not do, not well, do this. After that, I think I've got about eight weeks at home. So, <laughs> yeah. So, uh, you know, I meant to say this earlier when we were talking about the hotel, and you know, we're talking about this. The, the way I judge them, look, the hotel. It could be a little on the dingier side as long as it's not dirty. I don't care about aesthetics very much. I, I eat the, the things I care about the most, because I'm generally not in my hotel room unless I'm sleeping and taking a shower. Like, that's it. I get in yeah. the hotel room, take a shower, go to sleep, right? Is uh, they don't have the super thin, shitty pillows. You know what I'm talking about. Like, the, oh, yeah. the ones that, like, they feel like you're you're on an airplane. Like they're, they're, like, an scratchy. Pillows. Yeah. And then that's the other thing. If the sheets are scratchy, I lose my mind it's like whenever i go back home to like hang out with my mom um i usually like stay at her house right because she has like you know you know three bedrooms and she only uses one of them and there's like you know a full bed in in one of them and like i remember one time i was there and she's like you sleep okay i'm like yeah but like i don't love the sheets and she's like what's wrong i'm like you got hotel sheets and she's like what do you mean i'm like they're like super starchy and scratchy and she's like oh you're not used to it i'm like i i sleep on egyptian cotton like that's not even expensive anymore like, yeah. you know, you, like back in the day, there's like this rage. It's like, it's like $30, <laughs> you know what I mean? For like, you know, a bajillion thread count. And it's awesome. <laughs> like, I feel like I'm sliding around in my bed. It's awesome. <laughs> like, you know? Yeah. Because here's the thing. We spend a lot of our life sleeping. Let's be nice to ourselves when we're doing it. You know what I mean? So. Yeah. Anything, uh, anything that comes between you and the ground. So yeah. the beds, chairs, shoes. I've been doing better in the shoe department like the last few years. Cause I used to like, you know, I would just run through shoes. Like I would just, yeah. you know, like, you know, uh, especially in college when I was walking, you know, a bajillion miles a day, like, you know, to and from classes and stuff. And I just chew through shoes. And I'm like, oh, I'll just get like another cheap pair. Oh, I'll just get another cheap pair. And I'm like, nah, we're getting the good stuff now. And I'm like, do my ankles feel better? My heels feel better. Like my workouts are better. You know, like I feel taller. <laughs> it's great. I just got a new pair of shoes delivered today, Tannen. Ooh, what did we get? Uh, I needed a new pair of sneakers. Okay. But I got leather sneakers from uh, this company called Beckett Seminon. They make your shoes to order. I ordered these shoes in late December. That's pretty insane. When they were on sale and they arrived today. They better just be like the dopest shoe ever. Yeah. So they they make everything to order so they don't have to hold any inventory so that they can offer quality at a lower price point. Oh, yeah, I like that. Yeah, yeah, but they were on sale, so I got them for like under 100 bucks. I think it was like 90. 
Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and maybe, you know, there's probably taxes. I mean, there's probably about 100 for yeah. a pair of sneakers that is normally like 200. Yeah. That's uh, pretty nice. Yeah. I, I've invested in some nice pairs of shoes. I did that like four years ago, and I still have all of those pairs of shoes, and they are still gorgeous. I'll probably own them for 20 years. Yeah. Like, that's the other thing, too, is like, you know, I've, I've, I've talked about that with people, like, you know, shoes, clothes, and stuff. You get what you pay for, generally, yeah. you know. So I mean, I've inadvertently learned a lot about the construction of men's shoes. So <laughs> if you need advice about shoes, yeah, I can, I can, I can help you out. I, uh, uh, look, I'm okay listening to your, your, like that stuff style wise. You and I are not the same, but that's fine. Yeah. Yeah. I'm a little more relaxed than you are when it just, it just has to come to certain things, but all right. So what are you thinking, uh, Back to what you know the show's about. What what are you thinking you're going to see the most this weekend? Like, do you think you're going to see a shift in anything that's going on in modern? You know, we've had a little bit of a change up in modern uh, recently. You know, we've got a new set that's come out. Some powerful stuff has happened. You know, some decks are starting to maybe you know creep up and move around a little bit. You know, your your beloved breach deck might not be you know where it was you know six months ago when you were getting second at every tournament and you played at and stuff. So uh, yeah, there's there's a couple shifts. You know, the, the big thing is the return of Titan as a big force. Yeah. With the new land, as like the Mycosynth Gardens. Yeah, I should sure. probably I know this it, since yeah. I'm casting the tournament tomorrow, but... Um, you, you, that's what the iPad in front of you is for. Yeah, exactly. Uh, so, uh, you know, ri- Rise of Amulet Titan, how did X uh, adjust to that? I think, you know, we'll probably see, see the Murktide players go back to main deck Blood Moons. How mm-hmm. do other players react to that? Murktide, I think, is always going to be the most popular deck. Uh, one thing we've I've noticed on the on the Apex series in particular, we get a lot of cascaders. Mm-hmm. There's a lot of rhinos yeah. around these tournaments. Um, I'm not sure how good rhinos is against amulets specifically. Mm-hmm. You know, force negationing their amulet is pretty good, but you don't have a lot of ways to really deal with a primeval titan or stop it from entering the battlefield. Like you know, you can once again you can force the pact if they happen to draw a pact and not titan itself, but um, I, I would be worried about Cascaders. I'm, I'm wondering, you know, are we going to see as much of that deck tomorrow? Um, but uh, otherwise, we should see just a, a good collection of known archetypes and then a few brews, and I'm always hoping for some of the brews to do well. Okay. I I do also hope that we see some some Tyvar decks because I've seen scattered players, you know, work with it. There's obviously, like, Devoted Druid strategies, that use Tyvar. I saw Aspiring Spike 5-0 today uh-huh. with this like Fiend Artist and Sacrifice deck that looks awesome. Um, do, you, do you think Todd will be able to contain himself in the booth if that happens while he's there? Um, well, Todd's not going to be able to contain himself in the booth regardless of what happens. That's, so that's very, very <laughs> at true, least actually. this is something uh, positive yeah. if it, that he can get excited about and direct yeah. those energies into. So uh, that that that'll be perfectly fine. Um, but yeah, I, I'm interested in seeing you know just how much Tyvar exists and and what the reactions to the new cards are, uh, and then how that affects the way you know we've seen modern at the Apex series before. But mm-hmm. um, r- really, you know the my the favorite's got to be the the number one seed, which is Ryan Hayes. He won the last tournament that I was here to cover. Uh, I missed the January event, but uh, he won the event in December, putting on a clinic with Is It Merktide. So I expect he will be back with the same deck and, uh, you know, have it well-tuned. And it's, you know, the other question is, can can anyone stop him? Because he was really impressive uh, in that tournament. I've, you know, I've since seen him at other events. I actually played him in the Sunday event at the NRG in, um, uh, what is it, Louisville? 
and he thoroughly, you know, uh, crushed me in our match in Pioneer. So, uh, you know, very impressive player. And uh, that, that's my other main storyline is, you know, we could be seeing the emergence of, of our sort of first star on the circuit. And, uh, you know, will anyone else, you know, either stop him or join him uh, in, you know, that designation? Yeah, that's one of the coolest things about coverage of these kinds of events, right? Like when you look at, you know, something this size or like even a little bigger like NRG or, you know, the size of what we saw with WOTC and SCG is once you start doing these more than once, right, you start to have uh, stories come out of it. You start to have, you know, uh, plot lines and players do well over and over again. And it's really cool to see that and see people emerge and stuff like that and like, you know, players to aspire to or... or you know, become fans of and stuff. That's always really cool. I love, I love seeing that. You know, we we've had that in in Flesh and Blood, and you know, we have a clear best player in the world now. And it's a former Magic player named Michael Hamilton. He has like I think three Invitational top eights from like two or three from SCG Invitational top eights. And I was like, man, I you know, I don't remember this guy. And I went and looked, and I was like, oh, this is why I went and looked at his top eights, and they were always like stacked. And then it would be like, you know, when you see the, like the stacked top eights, like six or seven names you recognize, and there's like the one you don't, so you just kind of forget. You know, and I'm like, oh, this is, you know, I, I forget about this. And now he's just like de facto the best player in the world. And yeah. he kind of, you know, he, he came from, you know, like some smaller areas like that and playing, you know, some of the smaller tours and stuff like that. So, you know, some of these guys can put up big results. Like you said, you know, you saw some of them on the Pro Tour and stuff. So that's pretty cool. Speaking of that Pro Tour, that happened this weekend. And, uh, I mean, Boomer, Zoomer talk was a lot, you know, about like if the young guys are going to come in and, and take it over. But... Paper Pro Tour still belong to the old men. Congratulations, Reed Duke, on finally becoming a Pro Tour champion. Yeah, long time uh, coming. Honestly, like it's kind of yeah. kind of wild that you know the, the, yeah, I, I won one. I definitely saw a lot of people you know respond to the Watsi tweet with, "Man, I thought he had already won one." I like I would have yeah. assumed that, but you know, actually winning a Pro Tour is is, is very difficult. a difficult thing. Uh, and you know, for a long time, Reed was the you know default answer to the question of best player without a pro tour top eight. Yeah. He had, he had, his early results were in the world championships where he finished second to Char, you know, which isn't technically a pro tour. And by the way, know, he the did, a, did a lot of great work on the, on the GP circuit and even on the SCG circuit. So uh, it took him a, a little while to really break in on the pro tour to begin with. And uh, then took him a little bit, little while to uh, get that trophy, but certainly does not, you know, diminish his star in any way. One of my favorite things, and I'm glad that you mentioned the Shahar match where he lost the finals to to uh, in Worlds to Shahar, is the decks are flipped from the finals of this. Like Reed was playing auras into like a, the the blue red deck. Yep. You know he's like playing into like Just Guy. It was like blue red with a little bit of white, if I remember right. And then like this time it's the other way around with with Reed taking it home. So Just Guy Creativity was the deck that won this tournament and like kind of one of the breakout stars. I'm sorry, uh, is it Creativity? Not Just Guy Creativity. Is it Creativity? And I don't know if you remember this, but a few months ago, we were talking about this, like, during the RC stuff, and I told you, like, you know, some of my friends were, were playing a lot of these, and I was playtesting one of them, and the deck that kept, like, impressing me with just how good it was, was this deck. I was like, I did not expect it to be as good as it was. It was super powerful. It's very redundant, is the reason that I like it. Like, it just does the same thing every game, because all of its cards are pretty interchangeable. It's either kill your early thing, or dig for my combo pieces. And when I say combo pieces, you don't actually want to draw the specific two that you're searching for, and you have brainstorm quote unquote effects in your deck, you know, to put them back into your deck or whatever, blah blah blah, or you know, discard them and get them shuffled back in or whatever. So you have ways to insulate yourself from that. And then the card of big score, this deck feels really 
really unfair, Ross. Like, very, very unfair. And, um, I know, you know, the almost the entire team that we uh, played with played this deck. I think they had, like, a few dissenters, but most of them played this deck. What makes you think that... What do you think they came to? They're like, this is the deck for this tournament. Like, what was it about this metagame that was like, you know, th this is it? So... One of the things that has gone on with Pioneer recently is that the, the metagame itself is pretty diverse in the types of decks that are seeing success. It's not like a standard where every it seems like every deck is mid-range. Um, you know, you've got your Rakdos mid-range. You've got Mono Green Devotion, which is this powerful sort of over-the-top strategy but doesn't really interact with you at all, but it's hard to interact with, with its pieces. Um, you've got mono-white humans that can go underneath you. You've got gruel vehicles that is an aggro deck that is a bit more resilient. Um, you know, it can play a bit of a control game if it needs to. And then, you know, you've got some other sort of more linear engine decks like Greased Fang or is it Phoenix uh, or Angels. So it's hard. It's very hard to be reactive in a format like this. It really does remind me of modern, you know, six, seven years ago. Um, but... The issue is there's not really a lot of decks that bring a ton of speed. So is it creativity fine, like sort of weaves the right balance for a metagame like this where you have good early interaction, those early burn spells, Fiery Impulse, um, and then I can't remember the name of the three damage one, the Toxicard. Um, but, you, you know, you've got that early interaction. You can play some counter spells if you wanted. I'm sure they had plenty in their sideboard. Um, and then... Once you're done making sure that you're not dying in the very early turns, now it, you you know need to close the game quickly, and nothing closes the game faster than a one-card combo. So yeah. having a deck that can play control early and then have a combo finish really is a sort of cheat code for solving this format because you have the most successful elements of being reactive that early cheap removal while also having the most successful elements of being proactive where you can just end the game in a single turn and that's what we saw redo like time and time again it was you know i have a removals i have early removal and you know maybe i block a little bit and then as soon as i get the window i just slam the door shut immediately and there's just not much that you know a lot of these decks can do uh, you know, we've seen a lot of decks that are able to try to compete against like Rakdos Midrange and against Mono Green Devotion by having good interaction and hard to deal with threats. But then really the emergence of Lotus Field has hurt those decks a lot because they, uh, you know, those decks tend to not have as much of a clock. Um, and without that clock, you know, Lotus Field just you know, goes over the top of them. Is it creativity? It just says, oh, I'm going to kill you on turn five. <laughs> but yeah uh and so consistently too right yeah like, with all the with all the card draw and, and card selection you know it's uh fire prophecy by the fire way. prophecy yeah i knew it was yeah, fire it took something me a to, it was fire something it took me a minute too yeah, yeah. but with it, between impulse and big score and uh knew and impulse, the mirror breaker the yeah, yeah you see so many cards so yeah, yeah. Uh, it does seem like a very good deck for navigating these things now it's not like the deck put up a dominant performance there were a lot of decks that had similar win rates um, and you got to think that this deck gets a little bit of a boost because w one of the best teams picked it up. And so yeah. the average, you know, skill gap is going to favor this deck a little bit. Mm -hmm. Um, so I wouldn't say this deck is a world beater by any means, right? You know, you have some draws that are awkward if you, you know, don't have that early interaction or if it doesn't line up that well against your opponent, you, you know, I, you know, you don't, um, you know, you're, you're pretty reliant on finding exactly one card. 
So there's a level of inconsistency, you know, if you just don't find it on the right turns. Yeah, sometimes, you know, you very awkwardly draw, you know, your Xenagos or, you know, that one's easier to deal with. Yeah. But you, when you draw yeah, the Old Spine like, Worm, like... Yeah, you're in a weird spot. Like you're you're not only down a card, but you're also sort of down yeah. five cards because your creativities don't work anymore. Yeah, I wonder how many times during the weekend the players that did really well with this deck, like the ones that made top eight or like were contending to make top eight, you know, like uh, Game Nassif did really well with the deck as well too. How many times during the weekend that they had to YOLO, you know, like I have to make these plays to not die in top deck creativity or like I have to just take all this damage just so I can cast big score and hope that creativity is in my top few cards and that it was there for them. Or, because, like, you know, that happened a lot when I was testing the deck. Or there would be games where I have to creativity for one, hope to hit World Spine, and hope it's good enough. You know, like, sometimes you just have to do that. Like, you, you, yeah. don't, you don't have time to go for the combo, you know, and stuff like that. So there's some interesting spots there. Speaking of that overall metagame, do you want to go ahead and start, like, tackling that? Because we got sort of really, really good information from Frank Carson and from the, the metagame stuff from actual Watsi. I've got the whole thing here i've got the records and win rates of every deck that was played and the number of players played in them and there's some real surprises in here ross so like let's kind of go over this in a, a quick way for everybody at home so you can kind of ex this is what you can expect in your pioneer stuff going forward because you know you're going to be this is going to affect everything much and let's talk about the two most represented decks in the tournament no surprise here in the fact that they're the most represented tournament but you're going to be surprised at the win rate overall of these two decks number one Rakdos Midrange, I think we would have both put money on Rakdos Midrange being number one. Oh, yeah. It had 33 players play it to a 104 and 120 rate uh, record, which is 46.4% Ross, less than 50%. And I wonder if this is, you know, one of those things where people are ready for this deck now. You know, there's other things in the format that can go over the top of it or go underneath it, like whatever. Or, you know, I wonder what teams brought this. And if it was none of the big teams with like that are just, you know, look, nothing against the players. I'm not trying to diss any player in the Pro Tour. But it's like you said, if one of the big power teams, like the team, you know, reads one, I don't even know what they call themselves. I forgot what they call themselves. Like Handshake or something? Like there was a team Handshake, I think, at one point that was really good or whatever. Anyway. Yeah, that's a different of, team than this one, but. Yeah, sure. As soon as I said it, I was like, that's wrong. But if one of those teams isn't represented, isn't taking one of these decks, like their overall record might be a little worse than if that team did. You know, they're going to win a few more games than the than the other teams. It's just, it's just you know, they're a little bit better players, so a little more season. Nothing against them. Yeah, but, and you also have to realize that, yeah. you know, when you're playing at a tournament with the, the game's elite and mm -hmm. uh, there's no fluff, you know, this this is one of the, this is what yeah. the smallest pro tour, I think, since like 2005. or is very, very small. Yeah. Uh, at, at 218 people. It's extremely dense. Yeah. Yeah, so the field is dense with these great players. That is going to make it even harder on the most played decks because those are the decks everyone is targeting. Like yeah. you said, like we we both would have knew that Rakdos Midrange was going to be the most played deck. We yeah. knew that Mono Green Devotion and that um, uh, Gruel Vehicles were going to be the two next two most played decks. Mm -hmm. You know, I knew Lotus Field was going to show up in some numbers, mm -hmm. and beyond that, it's like a lot of things at five percent or so that are you, you want to have a plan for, but you're not really. Those aren't for, at the forefront of your mm -hmm. mind when you're making your deck choice uh, and your initial tuning decisions. But those decks that are, you know, the the players are playing against are more often going to be right. You know, mm -hmm. it's not that joke where everyone says, oh, yeah, of course I have a good matchup against deck X, and they really don't. Um, you know, when these players say, the say I have a good matchup against deck X, yeah. they're probably right. 
So yeah. it's you're always going to see those top decks unless they're you know that good and the top players choose them. They're they're never going to perform as well. So yeah. I, I'm not taking this as these decks are no longer good and you shouldn't be playing them. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's just a sign that they are not at maybe as dominant as you know you, you which is great as you might think. Yeah, so which is great because like yeah, you don't have to play one of them. Yeah, so let's talk about this a little bit. I'm going to give a little more of an overarching view because we're kind of alluding to this of the of the top five played decks and probably just the top five quote unquote decks in the format, you know, because they're the most played. So you have Rakdos Mid Range is number one. We talked about 33 players, 46 percent. Mono Green was number two with 30 players had almost the exact same rate. It was 46.6 percent. So literally, yeah. like like almost the exact same. Surprisingly, both of them well under 50 percent. Gruel vehicles only a tiny bit better with 21 players is at 47.4%. Then coming in at number four, we had Lotus Field Combo. This is the only one of the top five that has a winning record. It's at 52.7%. And then right behind that, and then there's some close decks. This is Mono White Humans. And these are the, you know, the, these are the five decks out of it. Like these are the, the five decks that are going to get represented the most. Mono White Humans, Ross. Oh boy, did it did it fall in its face this weekend? Yeah, thirty six percent win rate, and this was the deck that a lot of people coming out of the RCs were saying, you know, like when we played in Atlanta and I did coverage, like a lot of people were like, yeah, Mono White just might be the best deck. Like a lot of people were just saying that that weekend. It's either like people were like the Lotus Field Mono White are not getting enough respect, and both of these decks are great, and it <laughs> fell very flat this weekend. I'm, I think you're probably pretty happy you didn't play it, even though you know you might have done as well as you wanted to. Still, like. Yeah, it seemed like uh, a bad that, weekend for this deck. You know, I try not to take single, you know, weekend performances mm-hmm. uh, too heavily, but 36% is a shockingly low number. That's bad. And <laughs> there, there's some reason to to believe it. And mm-hmm. the biggest one is the, the rise of of Gruul, the, yep. which is a very bad matchup for humans. You know, we talk a lot in Magic about the sizing of aggro and midrange decks, and how you, you always want to be the one who is slightly bigger, but you don't yeah, want to be too much bigger behind. because then the other yeah. deck gets underneath yeah. you. You want to be just slightly bigger. You want to sit right on top of them. And that's basically what is happening with Gruul against humans. You mm-hmm. know, Gruul has those elves to make sure it keeps up in the early game. And then it has, you know, bigger creatures as cards like Ezekiel's Chariot that play great defense against go wide strategies. And then it has this perfect over-the-top threat in Sky Sovereign that is very hard for the mono-white deck to deal with because a lot of their removal is sorcery speed. You know, they're playing ossification or, you know, declaration in stone, things like that. So, uh, you know, or Brutal Cathar in the main. So the vehicle just difficult for them to answer. Yeah, the the Gruul deck is really tough sledding for mono-white humans. So that deck emerging as a dominant force uh, and one of the most popular decks in the metagame is definitely very bad for it. Also, just the improvement in every deck's mana over the last six months. You know, yep. we had the printing of Painlands and now the completion of the Fastland cycle. And now the mana in Pioneer is quite good, especially mm-hmm. for two color decks. You know, every single two color combination can play four quality dual lands. Uh, you know, maybe five if you count the slow lands, right? Uh, if that's the way your deck wants to play. And 
So now, you know, we've seen mana bases where you're not really just slamming four of the good duels and calling it a day. You actually have choices to make. It's like, uh-huh. which of the duel of the good duels is best for my deck? Some max out on fast lands because they're playing more to the early game. Some max out on slow lands and try to trim on fast lands. You know, sometimes it's awkward to play too many fast lands if you're playing a lot of the creature lands from AFR because those are all lands that you need to have early. Otherwise, they enter tapped. So... Uh, we've gotten to the point where the, the mana base construction in Pioneer is even harder, but that's just because the, the number of options has increased dramatically. But that's going to make it tougher for aggressive decks because they get a lot of equity out of opponents stumbling. And it might not be, oh, I didn't have my color at all that game. Sometimes it's, oh, I just didn't have my color on turn two for that removal spell. And I just, you know, it led to with this one threat getting out of hand, this Lunark Aspirant they got to spread two extra counters around before I could answer it. And those extra counters meant their extra their creature got in a couple more times, and now I got into Brave the Elements range. Or now, by the mm-hmm. time I fired off my Sweeper, their Mutavolts were able to finish me off. Things like that can really make a big difference. So the, the mana base is improving, I think, is big. And then what, one thing that I haven't seen people talk about as much, but I, I think is is a, makes it, it tougher for aggro decks, this Pro Tour was open decklist. Mm-hmm. So, you know, normally when you're playing, uh, you know, for the last 20 years of Pro Tours, um, you were playing close decklist. You're sitting down from your opponent. You know, maybe you've you know scouted them, yeah. uh, but, you know, likely you haven't. I mean, I've been on teams at Pro Tours that did scouting where you were expected to walk up and down the aisles between rounds. The, for the at least for day one and try yep. to get as many you know Same. people we had a, we would have a, a Google sheet up that all, everybody had access to and you would just type the, their thing to the name that usually helped me get like three players that I happened to play against because yep. it was a big field you just couldn't cover everybody um so uh you know that you know if you think that scouting was made a huge difference it really didn't uh so you're normally you know going in blind for that first game and you know, your your keep range is a little bit different. And so you're going to keep hands that are pretty reasonable in a lot of matchups that, you know, come to find out, oops, I'm playing the low-to-the-ground aggressive deck. I don't have, you know, the, the best opening curve. So yeah, I just get run over it, in yeah, a higher percentage it, of games. Yeah, think of it as a creativity. Like, if your opening hand is, like, kind of slow with, like, spell pierce, secrets of the key, and, like, impulse, and you're on the draw, and your opponent's mono white, you're like, well... My, I've got a lot better sixes, probably. You yeah. know, something with a fiery impulse or, you know, something along those lines, you know, kind of thing. I, you know, just just as a, a small example for everybody at home. But, like, knowing that that's the matchup is great. Because if it's, like, if it's a deck where it's a different kind of race, you know, where, like, you're just trying to find your combo as quickly as possible, like, that's an okay hand. But if it's a deck where, like, I need to interact in turns one or two, like, you know, I need to be able to kill a Thalia, most likely... Like, otherwise, I'm going to be, like, you know, a turn or two behind now. Like, now I'm on the draw, and I'm a turn behind because of Valia. So now I'm, like, a turn and a half behind. Like, that might be enough to lose the game for you. But if you know ahead of time, you can help out a little bit. <clears throat> Speaking of some of the surprises from this week at Ross, the next deck's down, and they're not far down. Like, I'm looking at these, and the players represented are 14, 14, 13, and 11 for these decks. Uh, all of these put up really good weekends. And some of them, like, a little surprisingly so, and some of them not surprisingly so. Like, you said you really liked one of these. Um, coming in at 14 players each was, is it creativity? You know, the, the deck of the tournament, I think kind of, cause it won the tournament as well. And Azorius control had 14 people playing it this weekend, uh, each with about the exact same win rate is it creativity was 55.7. And then Azorius control was 55.4. So <clears throat> Azorius control wouldn't have been on my radar for this many people. 
at the Pro Tour and doing this well as well. So like this one's a little bit of a surprise for me. Creativity, if you told me this happened, I'd have been surprised by the number of representatives, but I would not have been surprised by the win rate because I've, I've always respected this deck. Yeah, uh, you know, as I said earlier, the, the Creativity deck does get a bit of a boost for, you know, pr probably five plus of those pilots being among the 20 best players in the room. Uh, that definitely helps, um, but still a solid deck. Azorius Control is the biggest enigma for me in Pioneer because I think that deck is tr absolute trash. I, but it wins or like does reasonably well. It has good win rates in basically every tournament. I don't understand. I generally beat it with really anything I play. Sure. Um, <laughs> now I will say it it potentially gets got some benefit at this tournament from the decline in humans. And humans is a, is a very bad matchup for Azorius just because they're very good at playing through your mm. removal. Like, you know, Dauntless Bodyguard protecting one creature from Verdict is important. Mutawal is unbelievably good against them. Thalia is mm. excellent against them. Uh, and, the, you know, the deck's a little clunky. Temporary Lockdown has helped a lot um, in that matchup, uh, getting a, a small sweeper there, but it doesn't exile Wedding Announcement. And they... Uh, you know, a lot of human stacks have incorporated things like destroy evil um, that can, uh, you know, kill it. Right. Uh, yeah. and, and get those creatures back. So maybe it got a little bit of a boost there. But for the most part, there's just some dedicated Azorius players around at every tournament. The Pro Tour is not an exception. Gre Greg Orange was here. <laughs> yeah. yeah. He did well, I, I, actually. He, he, at least in the constructor round. I think he was like 8 and 2 or something like that. Yeah. yeah. So, so maybe some Control Masters won with yeah. it. I don't know. But I really. I got to tell you, I really dislike that deck. I think it is just bad. So the, the next deck on the list is the one that you played at the Pro Tour. It had a really good weekend, even with you bringing it down, with you weighing it down quite a bit. Sorry, Ross, had to throw it in there. But 13 people played, uh, 13 people, not people, 13 people, Ross. I need mean, words. I speak for a living. Uh, they played Rakdos Sacrifice to a 55.7 win percentage. That's a really, really good uh, win percentage for a tournament this size for a deck that, like, I, I've always felt like it was like on the fringes and hasn't always gotten represented representation that it it, uh, it needs. And then another deck, it, almost the exact same win rate here. Uh, Eleven people played. Is it Phoenix this week at Ross? Uh, you know, a blast from the past, one of your favorite decks of all time. Is it Phoenix came in at fifty five point six percent as well. Yeah, Phoenix, a deck that we have seen uh, decline a lot over the last couple of months, but seems like we might have hit the point where players weren't really respecting it. I know. There was a lot less graveyard hate around the last weekend than there generally has been uh, in the Pioneer metagame. I think that's one of the reasons we saw Abzan Greasefang put up very good numbers mm -hmm. uh, at the tournament. So Phoenix also benefiting from that. Racto Sacrifice, you know, I I went 1-3. And sure. uh, before dropping, I, I won 2 the draft. Got very, very unlucky against Jim Davis. Ugh. Fucking so Jim. He triple runnered me. Oh. That's kind of gross. <laughs> yeah, he, he actually triple runnered me. He drew sure. anticipated or experimental augury into augury into a burn spell, and he needed all the proliferations to get up to lethal damage. Mm -hmm. It was it was gross. Yeah, but um, gross. yeah, Jim Jim whipped out some dad luck uh, mm -hmm. in that match. Sure, sure. sure. Um, there was so I went one three with Rakdos Sacrifice. Though I completely threw away one match though. Uh, so you know. That can't can't fault the deck for that one. I played I played a, a second a game two, very very poorly uh, to lose, and then got uh, 
soundly punished in game three when my opponent crushed me with a great curve. Yeah. Um, but for the, uh, for the most part, I mean, uh, the other two matches I lost, like, I just didn't really feel like I had a lot of agency. One of them I ran at the Lotus Field, which is not a great matchup. But I just lost straight up 2-0 to Rakdos midrange when we just played normal games of Magic. Uh, I yeah, did stumble in one of them, but, yeah. um, you know, it, it just... I, I came away not so impressed with the Rakdos Sacrifice deck. I was honestly surprised when I saw the numbers. Um, I do think my, my deck was misbuilt by a few cards, but um, I didn't think that was going to make that much of a difference. I was mainly uh, unimpressed by my ability to close games. Like, I had all this cheap removal when you're, like, fatal pushing and claiming your opponent's creatures, and then I just wouldn't be able to, you know, close the game unless yeah, I had an unanswered line, yeah. Mayhem Devil. But I didn't have early threats that made my opponent use their removal. So they yeah. almost always had removal sandbagged for Mayhem Devil. You know, it, it was either Mayhem Devil or Fables. I needed to draw those three drops. And the games sure. where I did that, my deck looked great. And the games where I didn't do that, it didn't look so great. So I, I came away somewhat unimpressed. I was actually... Uh, excited by the team that brought the Mardu Sacrifice deck, and I know uh, they did pretty poorly in the Pro Tour. You can see their numbers, 4 and 11, but Autumn uh, Burchett did, you know, was one of the four players that re-qualified in the Sunday PTQ. Uh, so for those who don't know, because the, uh, the because the, it was going to be awkward for uh, Pro Tour players to try to play the the regular PTQs that were scheduled at the Magic Con, because you know you don't know how well you're going to do, and you don't want to sign up early. But we those PTQs are probably going to you know fill up, uh, and if you, you they were saying they weren't going to allow you to like drop and get a refund, um, mm. so you couldn't just sign up you know and 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 uh, drop if if you ended up doing well in the Pro Tour. They made a separate event, and on Sunday there was a PTQ that was open only to Pro Tour players. Uh, that was a four slaughter. It ended up getting a little over 100 players. I O2 dropped that PTQ. <laughs> so to, to show you how well Just my weekend, weekend went. Just a great weekend overall. Yeah. For Ross Marion. But uh, uh, Autumn was one of the four players to, to you know, with Mardu, get a right? get a slot from that with the Mardu Sacrifice deck. Splashing for Rite of Oblivion. Uh, yeah. And Showdown of the Skulls. And I think Showdown is a great card to, both to, uh, you know, increase your amount of card advantage for a deck that has a lot of removal. Uh, and card advantage removal obviously play together well. Uh, but also, you know, those second modes can let you really pump up an unlucky witness or a cauldron familiar or, you know, a token that you have lying around from something and, you know, turn it into a real threat and close games quickly. So I liked those additions on paper based on my experiences. But, uh, you know, then you look at their numbers and think, like, maybe it's not as good or maybe it's not worth the, you know, the, uh, make uh giving you a worse mana base you know they weren't able to play as many of say the creature lands uh in their deck and not get as much utility and then of course the added inconsistency of playing three colors so sure uh, definitely a deck that i would check out though because i do think those cards are very strong additions uh and fill some needed holes that the deck has but um you know maybe you know, it's just you know one of those weekends where i uh <laughs> didn't have the lady luck on my side Sure. Speaking of some decks that did have later luck on their side, uh, I don't want to go over every deck here, but I want to go over a few more that had decent representations from the weekend, but all did pretty well and had some pretty decent showings. Uh, Selesny Angels had seven people play it. It won 54% of its matches, including one player. I think it had one of the, the top records. One of the players yeah, like somebody went 9-1 with it, I think. Yeah, something like that. Yeah. And then 
a couple of the other decks that I'm going to leave one to last because I know you're you're a big fan of this deck. Uh, Abzan Auras had a 60% win percentage. Omnath to Light at a 61.3% win percentage. And it was kind of, there were some talks about it that weekend. It didn't bust into the top eight. You know, maybe those players didn't do great and limited or maybe all of them had like the same record and no one had like an 8-1 or a 9-1 to like really push themselves into contention. But uh, the deck of the weekend, one of the other decks of the weekend for me was Abzan Greasefang. It had four players represent uh, to play it. And we're talking, this thing had a 67.6 win percentage record this week at Ross. This seemed like one of the decks that you just should have been playing this weekend. Yeah, they brought a pretty interesting build that played a like, yeah, Vessel of Nacency really yeah. and Traversial of Unwald. So uh, definitely a, a cool build of the deck that I think uh, you know, uh, adds some consistency in just finding your Grease Fangs. Yeah, it had one of my favorite uh, draft commons from the last few years too. They were playing Scrapwork Mutt. Yeah. as well i don't know if you do you even know what that card does two mana artifact creature it's a two one when etbs you may discard a card if you do draw a card it has unearth for one and a red exactly because you're playing mana confluence so it's like not hard to unearth this card yeah and it gives you just added value when you uh you know you play things like uh grizzly salvage and vessel uh to put into your graveyard it can let you re-put the uh the vehicles in your yard to keep triggering grease fangs over and over again so yeah it makes a lot of sense i think it also helps you get delirium it's an artifact yep so it does a lot of little things to help out this kind of version of the deck i think traversi oldenwald is a very powerful just magic card in general and one that's been underexplored in pioneer and as i said earlier not as much graveyard hate around so yeah i think i think this was an excellent choice and in hindsight I'm, I'm not at all surprised that it did as well as it as it did just a shame that nobody was able to punch their way to the top eight with it if i had to play a pioneer event like this weekend for something i i think this is the deck i would play <laughs> i'd play this or like maybe as a creativity or just because i like those cards you know it's like it's like my kind of magic but every time i've ever played this deck like in testing or whatever i've always been super impressed by how good uh grease thing is and like how just powerful and resilient the deck was and how much you could just win games through hate just playing naturally like i would just like play stuff they'd kill my early draw then i'd be like okay i'll just cast this izika's chariot on four i'll keep making my land drops i'll cast the sky sovereign i've all hard cast perihelion because like you're going to make all your land drops with this deck most of the time as well you know you might want to sandbag one in case you draw like rafine's informant or scrap work mutt now you know because <laughs> like you need some fuel to discard these cards but like i don't know this this, this deck this deck's been pretty powerful for a long time and i've i've seen some some really good players play it at events and really say like this deck doesn't get enough, for, you know, it doesn't get enough uh, respect. And so I, th I think this is like one of the big breakouts for me this weekend in the fact that it went under the radar of how good it is because of the fact that like, yeah, it didn't win the tournament. You know, like the talk's going to be, is it creativity, is it creativity, is it creativity? It's hard to deny the numbers from, I mean, yeah, four players played it, but they won almost 68% of their matches, Ross. That's so much. And like yeah. even I, I think it's actually the highest win percentage on the board. Even looking at some of the decks that only had one person play them, it is two, the highest. Two people play them. Yeah. So yeah, I think I'll say it, it is the actual highest with Orzon Wars being right behind it. But uh, you know, a sample of one, you know, kind of thing. So uh, yeah, I think this is the big winner from this weekend. It's pretty great. Yeah, and it shows you that it's going to be hard to sideboard in, in Pioneer tournaments coming up because now you know 
It's not no. like you can ignore the those big three just because they didn't have a great weekend. But you, there's this new creativity deck around. There's auras around, which is a very difficult deck to plan for since it's a, a creature deck that can often be resilient to a lot of the spot removal that you play against creature decks. And then, you know, you've got Greasefang that is looking to make a return into the metagame, uh, especially with an improved build. So uh, I think Pioneer is going to be an interesting format even moving forward, uh, just because it, it'll be interesting to see which of these sort of smaller decks that had great performances has staying power and which of them does the, is the metagame able to react to and sort of keep on the fringes. Yeah, exactly. So if you've got Pioneer coming up anytime soon... Here's a lot of info for you to, to, to purse through, find what you want. There's a ton of deck choices that did really well at the Pro Tour this weekend. Again, this is the Pro Tour metagame. Your personal metagame might be a little different, but there's still stuff that you can learn from this. You can still see, you know, what the popular decks were, how well they did, and, you know, some of those other kind of things from this that you can kind of draw your own conclusions from and choose what deck that you want to play in your events coming up this weekend, your FNMs, your... your you know, qualification events, your uh, tour of it, invitationals like Ross is doing. Uh, I, I forgot the name of the tour. I apologize. Uh, Apex. Apex games. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I was going to say it's the damn shooter game. Yeah. The uh, the Apex tour. I'm sorry. There's a there's a company with a very similar name that does fab. And like, I always mix the two up in my mind. So, you know, whatever it is you're playing in over the next few weeks, this is your litmus stuff. Like, this is where you're going to get your, your info and stuff from. So make sure you, you take a look at this. Uh, take what we said with a grain of salt. You know, I know what I would be doing. I'd probably be playing this Grease Fang deck because I think it legitimately is pretty damn good and it's very hard to beat. And then, like I said, you could beat the hate with this deck quite a bit. So, uh, we'll see. I think that's about all I got this weekend. Uh, Ross, what about you? Yeah. No, I, I think um, I think we're good. I think we covered everything. Um, do we have any questions in the mailbag? We do have one mailbag question I had pulled up ready to go. This is from Raven Christ. He says, We've seen one mana fight spells, one mana instant speed fight spells, and one mana fight lay of the land. Would one mana uh, ambuscade be too good for green? Um, it might be too good for limited. <laughs> um, so I don't know where what rarity they would print at, but I doubt that would be too good for for constructed. Like any removal spell like that that requires you to have a creature on the board of a certain size and you know, risks getting blown out by opposing removal is going to be a, a a risky proposition in Constructed. We have not seen mm. a lot of the fight cards make their way in Constructed. I think Dramoka's yeah. Command is, is sort of the major exception, and that was a card that had a yeah. lot of, uh, you extra know, tests. other upside to it, yeah. a lot of extra functionality. So, uh, and even, even then, we really haven't seen a lot of Dramoka's Command in other formats. It was very good in its time in Standard, We've seen a little bit of it pop up in Pioneer and Modern every now and again, but it is not a, a major player in either format by any means. So, yeah, I think you could pretty easily do this and, and have it fit into Constructed. The The bigger question is, where is it, how is it fitting into Limited? Because at Common, that's certainly too good. Maybe you make maybe you can make it on the Common and still be really good. Yeah, and that's I think that's where the problem comes in for me, is uh, I think it's a little too good for Limited if you make it one, because... Traditionally, if it's one mana at sorcery speed, and we've seen two mana instant speed ones, uh, yeah, that's been going on. So maybe you can at some point. But like I said, it doesn't show up in constructed too much. Like you know, we had the said. I think one of the versions showed up for a little while when mono green was very good in standard. It just had no real other way to like interact with opposing creatures in that format. So like 
you know, if you were playing mono green, you just like, I need something to like kill a creature. I need to be able to kill Sheholder it or something. You know, I need to be able to kill this creature on this other board. So like, I need my could you be able to fight theirs? Like that's something that it would it would make it then. But uh, I'd be worried about it for limited, not for constructed. Like Ross said, so I, I gotta completely agree with him here. Ross, I think that's it for me this weekend. So uh, thanks everybody for listening to this episode. Uh, y'all have been great. We'll be back as soon as possible with another one, probably with some spoiler cards, the the rate at which things are coming up. Oh, I, I will say this. Something did get shown this weekend that I want to talk about for one second. Um, they, they kind of previewed some of the art and stuff for the Lord of the Rings set. And I didn't read into it. One of my friends said this might happen, but if they have serialized cards in the Lord of the Rings set, I'm assuming that the one ring is going to be soul ring. Like, this, like, makes sense to me, right? That, that that tracks, right? Yeah. Yeah. If you get soul ring, like, number 001, like, you get, you get the number one serialized soul ring, A, like, that I, to me, that would be the most expensive one, uh, more than 69 or 420 or whatever, you know, because it is the one ring, right? B... If I were playing with you and you had this card, we were like playing commander, right? We're in a commander pod. If you cast this card, you should gain control of all other soul rings that are in play at the time. That should just be, <laughs> this should be a like, if you land on free parking, you get the money from jail or like joke, like, you know, the house rule that just is okay across the board. Cause like, you've got the one ring, you got the actual one ring. All the other ones were deceived. Like you, you, you get their rings, you know, they become your people. So yeah. That's all I'm saying about the Lord of the Rings set for now. We'll we'll see some stuff in the future. I I might be buying some Lord of the Rings stuff. We'll see. But uh, <laughs> I love that stuff. But uh, that's going to be it for this week for me and Ross. Brent, get to work. Get this episode out there. We love you. We love each and every one of y'all for listening. Thanks so much, and we'll see y'all next week. 